Before we get going, there's a questionnaire at each door. It's a little questionnaire to help you determine your temperament. It's taken from a booklet called The Four Temperaments by Reverend Conrad Hawk. It's useful in the spiritual life to know what your temperament is. Your temperament, basically, they have these old-fashioned words, but whether you get excited quickly and calm down quickly, get excited quickly, calm down slowly, get excited slowly, calm down quickly, or get excited slowly, calm down slowly, those are what the four temperaments are based on that. This temperament or this disposition will help you know something about progress in the spiritual life and particular things you have to look out for. So if you take this questionnaire, it's not ideal. Um, but it'll get you in the ballpark if you don't know. You just take that and take it seriously. We'll try to see if it's possible to have it posted on Anio Sancto too. But if you do that, then in a few weeks when I talk about uh, spiritual growth and your temperaments, you'll have some idea of where, how it fits into you. Otherwise, I'm just kind of preaching a thin air and you have to figure out later. Then you'll be able to pay more careful attention. What am I? Most people are a mixture of two of the temperaments, but uh, some people are very dominant one particular type. At any rate... Uh, It'll help in your growth to holiness. That being said, we'll get started here. Certainly one of the most uh, bewildering phenomena of the past 40 years has been the incredible success of the feminist attack upon the traditional roles of Catholic women. As a result, we can see on the one hand a rejection and belittling of true femininity, rejection of the beauty and the mystery of woman as such, and of her God-given role to be a living icon of the church or a living icon of the Blessed Virgin Mary. On the other hand, we see a corresponding obsession to be able to do whatever it is the boys do. The situation has gotten so ridiculous that we now have convents full of unhappy Wiccans and confused, angry women stalking about, pretending to be priestesses and saying Mass. Last December, in the midst of all this disaster, the Congregation for Clergy issued a document as a clear call for Catholic women to reassert their God-given role in the church, once again to find their authentic place in the divine economy. The document is entitled Spiritual Motherhood for Priests. It's about 40 pages long. It's chock full of stories about married women, single women, and religious women. And it's fantastic. When I read it, I kept thinking, I can't believe this. It's like reading something published by Tan Books or something. I couldn't believe what I was reading. Okay. That being said, let's turn to the document. Quote, The vocation to be a spiritual mother for priests is largely unknown, scarcely understood, and consequently rarely lived. Notwithstanding its fundamental importance... It's a vocation that's frequently hidden, invisible to the naked eye, but meant to transmit spiritual life. Independent of age or social status, any woman can become a mother for priests. This type of motherhood is not only for mothers of families, but is just as possible for an unmarried girl, a widow, or someone who is ill. It is especially pertinent for missionaries and religious sisters who have given their lives entirely to God for the sanctification of others. Pope John Paul II even thanked a child for her motherly help. Quote, I also express my gratitude to Blessed Jacinda for the sacrifices and prayers offered for the Holy Father, whom she saw suffering greatly. Close quote. Okay, the guys can serve Mass. Some of us can even say Mass. But none of us can be a spiritual mother, but any woman can. 
To get some idea of the incredible significance of this, of the power and the dignity of this role, the value that God himself places on it, we'll consider just two stories from this document. The first is a story about the power of spiritual motherhood, and the second is an example that the women of our community can certainly imitate. Now, there's a lot of important points about the first story that we're not going to have time to point out, but it's something to really ponder, take to heart and ponder. Okay, here we go. Quote, In 1869, a German diocesan bishop was sitting together with his guest, Bishop William Emanuel Kettler from Mainz. During the course of their conversation, the diocesan bishop brought up his guest's extremely blessed apostolate. Bishop Kettler explained to his host, I owe thanks for everything that I have accomplished with God's help to the prayer and sacrifice of someone I do not even know. I can only say that I know somebody has offered her whole life to our loving God for me, and I have the sacrifice to thank that I even became a priest. He continued, Originally, I wasn't planning on becoming a priest. I had already finished my law degree and thought only about finding an important place in the world to begin acquiring honor, prestige, and wealth. An extraordinary experience held me back and directed my life down a different path. One evening I was alone in my room, considering my future plans of fame and fortune, when something happened which I cannot explain. Was I awake or asleep? Did I really see it, or was it just a dream? One thing I do know, it brought about a change in my life. I saw Jesus very clearly and distinctly standing over me in a radiant cloud, showing me his sacred heart. A nun was kneeling before him, her hands raised up in prayer. From his mouth I heard the words, She prays unremittingly for you. I distinctly saw the appearance of the sister, and her traits made such an impression on me that she has remained in my memory to this day. She seemed to be a quite an ordinary lay sister. Her clothing was very poor and rough. Her hands were red and calloused from hard work. Whatever it was, a dream or not, it was extraordinary. It shook me to the depths of my being so that from that moment on, I decided to consecrate myself to God in the service of his priesthood. I withdrew to a monastery for a retreat, and I talked about everything with my confessor. Then, at the age of 30, I began studying theology. You know the rest of the story. So if you think I've done something admirable, now you know who really deserves the credit. A religious sister who prayed for me, maybe without even knowing who I was. I am convinced I was prayed for, and I will continue to be prayed for in secret and that without these prayers, I could never have reached the goal that God has destined for me. Do you have any idea of the whereabouts or the identity of who has prayed for you? asked the diocesan bishop. No. I can only ask God each day that while she is still on earth, he bless and repay her a thousandfold for what she has done for me. The next day, Bishop Kedler visited a convent of sisters in a nearby city and celebrated Holy Mass in their chapel. He was distributing Holy Communion to the last row of sisters when one of them suddenly caught his eye. His face grew pale, and he stood there, motionless. Finally regaining his composure, he gave Holy Communion to the sister, who was kneeling in recollection, unaware of his hesitation. He then concluded the liturgy. 
The bishop who had invited him the previous day came and joined him at the convent for breakfast. When they had finished, Bishop Kettler asked the mother superior to present to him all the sisters in the house. Before long, she had gathered all the sisters together, and both bishops went to meet them. Bishop Kettler greeted them, but it was apparent that he did not find the one he was looking for. He quietly asked the mother superior, Are all the sisters really here? She looked over the group of sisters and then said, Your Excellency, I called them all, but in fact one of them is not here. Why didn't she come? She works in the barn, answered Superior, and in such a commendable way that in her enthusiasm she sometimes forgets other things. I would like to see that, sister, requested the bishop. A little while later, the sister who had been summoned stepped into the room. Again, Bishop Kedler turned pale, and after a few words to all the sisters, he asked if he could be alone with the sister who had just come in. Do you know me? he asked her. I have never seen your excellency before. Have you ever prayed for me or offered up a good deed for me? he wanted to know. I do not recall that I have ever heard of your excellency. The bishop was silent for a few moments, and then he asked, Do you have a particular devotion that you like? The devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus was the response. You have, it seems, the most difficult task in the convent, he continued. Oh, no, Your Excellency, the sister countered, but I cannot lie. It is unpleasant for me. And what do you do when you have such temptations against your work? For things that cost me greatly, I grew accustomed to facing them with joy and enthusiasm out of love for God. And then I offer them up for one soul on earth. To whom God chooses to be gracious as a result, I have left completely up to him, and I do not want to know. I also offer up my time of Eucharistic adoration every evening from 8 to 9 for this intention. Where did you get the idea to offer up all your merits for someone totally unknown to you? I learned it while I was still out in the world, she replied. At school, our teacher, the parish priest, taught us how we can pray and offer our merits for our relatives. Besides that, he said that we should pray much for those who are in danger of being lost. Since only God knows who really needs prayer, it is best to put your merits at the disposition of the sacred heart of Jesus, trusting in his wisdom and omnipotence. That is what I have done, she concluded, and I always believed that God would find the right soul. How old are you? Kettler asked. Thirty-three, Your Excellency, she answered. The bishop paused a moment. Then he asked her, When were you born? The sister stated her day of birth. The bishop gasped. The birthday was the day of his conversion. Back then, he saw her exactly as she was before him now. And have you any idea whether your prayers and sacrifices have been successful? He asked her further. No, Your Excellency. Don't you want to know? Our dear God knows when something good happens, and that is enough, was the simple answer. The bishop was shaken. So continue this work in the name of the Lord, he said. The sister knelt down immediately at his feet and asked for his blessing. The bishop solemnly raised his hands and said with great emotion, With the power entrusted to me as a bishop, I bless your soul, I bless your hands and their work, I bless your prayers and sacrifices, your self-renunciation and your obedience. I bless especially your final hour and ask God to assist you with all his consolation. Amen, the sister answered calmly, then stood up and left. The bishop profoundly moved, stepped over to the window in order to compose himself. Some time later, he said goodbye to the mother superior and returned to the apartment of his bishop friend. He confided to him, Now I found the one I have to thank for my vocation. It is the lowest and poorest lay sister of that convent. I cannot thank God enough for his mercy. 
because this sister has prayed for me for almost 20 years. On the day she first saw the light of the world, God worked my conversion, accepting in advance her future prayers and works. What a lesson and a reminder for me. Should I become tempted to vanity by a certain amount of success or by my good works, then I can infirm in truth. You have the prayer and sacrifice of a poor maid in a convent stall to thank. And when a small and lowly task appears of little value to me, then I will also remember the fact. What this maid does in humble obedience to God, making a sacrifice by overcoming herself, is so valuable before the Lord our God that her merits have given rise to a bishop for the church. Close quote. So that's the first example, and it's something to think about. The second is something to imitate. The example of the village of Lou in northern Italy, a town which yesterday I looked it up, has a population of 1,213 people. Quote, Lou would still be unknown to this day if some of the mothers of Lou had not made a decision that had important consequences in 1881. The deepest desires of many of these mothers was for one of their sons to become a priest or for a daughter to place her life completely in God's service. Under the direction of their parish priest, they gathered every Tuesday for adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, asking the Lord for vocations. They received Holy Communion on the first Sunday of every month with the same intention. After Mass, all the mothers prayed a particular prayer together, imploring for vocations of the priesthood. The prayer that the mothers of Lou prayed was short, simple, and deep. O God, grant that one of my sons may become a priest. I myself want to live as a good Christian and want to guide my children always to do what is right so that I may receive the grace, O God, to be allowed to give you a holy priest. Amen. Through the trusting prayer of these mothers and the openness of the other parents, an atmosphere of deep joy and Christian piety developed in the families, making it much easier for the children to recognize their vocations. When the Lord said, Many are called, but few are chosen, we can understand that many are called, but only a few respond to that call. No one expected that God would hear the prayers of these mothers in such a dramatic way. From the tiny village of Lou came 323 vocations, 152 priests, diocesan religious, 171 nuns belonging to 41 different congregations. As many as three or four vocations came from some of the families. One of the priests from Lou, Blessed Philip Rinaldi, always fondly recalled the faith of the families of Lou a faith that made our fathers and mothers say, the Lord gave us our children, and so if he calls them, we can't say no. Close quote. So this little village of Lou produced 323 vocations. How? Three things. First, the mothers prayed before the Blessed Sacrament once a week, specifically asking the Lord for vocations. Second, on the first Sunday of the month, they made a communion for the same intention. And third, after Mass, they said that simple prayer, begging God for vocations. Now, how hard is that? So here's my proposal to all the ladies, and I mean all of them right down to the age of First Communion. That's how old the boys have to be before they can come up here and assist at the altar. Blessed Jacinta was seven when she started the project for the Pope. Ladies, I'd like to challenge you all to imitate the women of Lou. Become spiritual mothers. Pray once a week for vocations before the Blessed Sacrament, if that's possible. Obviously, we don't live in a little small town right next to the church. 
So if it's not possible to pray before the Blessed Sacrament, pray at home in front of a picture statue of the Sacred Heart. I just learned about this this week, so I haven't put everything together. But for right now, I'd like to suggest that you say a memorari, asking Our Lady to conform you more perfectly to her. Obviously, she's the most perfect uh, spiritual mother. And then pray a litany of the Sacred Heart, asking Our Lord to grant us vocations. So memorari for conformity to Our Lady, and a litany of the Sacred Heart to Our Lord, asking Him for vocations. Then, ladies, if possible, on the first Sunday of the month, please offer up your communion asking for vocations. And then after the, we say the prayers after Mass, you could say a prayer begging our God for vocations. This gives me a few weeks to get it printed up on cards and adapt it so that both physical mothers and spiritual mothers can say it. If anybody has suggestions, pray about it and let me know. But I think I'll just adapt it by changing two words in the, in the prayer that the women from Lou. I mean, you can't argue with success. Okay, so that's my challenge and my request. All right, let's close. Any woman can become a mother for priests. This type of motherhood is not only for mothers of family. It's possible for an unmarried girl, a widow, someone's ill. It's of fundamental importance for the church. Ladies, embrace your God-given role in the church and do something beautiful for God.